So today we are wrapping up our series entitled A Calm and Quiet Christmas. Hopefully everybody's last two weeks have been all calm and all quiet, right? Yeah, exactly. If you've been to Costco, that isn't true. Today we're, we're wrapping up the series. I guess we're also wrapping up our year as far as Sunday mornings go. And God has done a lot in our church over the, the last year. And I know all of you, of course, haven't been here the entire year, but uh, we, we prayed for you, actually. Uh, back in, in July, we prayed. We, we had a time as a church where we stopped and we said, God, we pray that, that anyone you bring from now until the end of the year, that you would just kind of uh, seamlessly incorporate them into the body. And so if you have shown up since July, I want you to know we were praying for you back then. And we're wrapping up the, the year in this series, A Calm and Quiet Christmas, uh, looking at a theme that we kind of started the year at, and that is God and His grace working spiritual growth in our hearts, deepening the gospel inside of us, changing the way we act, changing the way we think, changing the way we talk. And in the Old Testament, David writes it, I have calmed and quieted my soul. In the New Testament, we look at that idea more as our process of spiritual growth, the spiritual transformation that God is doing in us. And so today I want to look at David's psalm and see the metaphor that he uses to describe this process of calming and quieting his soul, and then connect it to some New Testament passages that also show us the process of how we grow spiritually. Now, perhaps you had a time in life when you wanted to get super in shape. You were going to get and become the most, you know, best physical version of yourself. And pretend you listen to a podcast. And the podcast told you the way that you need to think about working out. And all of the benefits of it and the diet you should have and the workout plan you should do. And so you got motivated and you went and you bought all of the nicest equipment or you signed up for your gym membership. And so you had all of the knowledge and you had all of the access to now get into your best physical shape. You probably know where this is going. If you never work out, you're not going to change. You're going to stay, no, who you are, no matter what you think and no matter what access you have or what equipment you have. The first two weeks of this series are connected to that idea. We can learn the proper perspective of God, that he is sovereign, good, active, and personal, and that is true. And we can learn the proper practices that we need to have in our lives that our hearts would not be lifted up, that our eyes would not be raised too high, that we would not occupy ourselves or our minds with things too great or too marvelous for me. Quick show of hands, how many of you said to another person or yourself this week, that's too marvelous for me? There we go. Sermon in action. If we just stop here though, if we just stop here, we will never arrive where David arrived. See, what has to Go in next. The third part of this is the process in which all of this stuff becomes into action or turns into action. And for David, he compared it to a metaphor, or he made a metaphor to help us understand it. And it was this. He says, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This is the process we have the perspective, we know the, pract the practices, now we have to go through the process like a weaned child 
Like a weaned child is my soul within me. The process, like weaning a child, is gradual, is difficult, but is very rewarding. And any mother who has weaned a child knows those three things. It's gradual, it's difficult, but it's rewarding. And I want this morning to walk you through the process of calming and quieting our souls and walk us through the process of spiritual growth and transformation. This is how we then actually become the people that God wants us to become. Not just knowing that God is good and active and sovereign and control, not just having these practices that we can kind of apply in certain moments, but actually from the inside, from the, the heart or the soul level, being transformed in such a way that we only view God now through his proper perspective, that we naturally, through the spirit, act out those practices. But we have to walk through the process. And so the process is gradual, it's difficult, but it is so rewarding. So let's start with gradual. We understand this. When I cook eggs in the morning, I remember one of those famous uh, TV chefs and they say, what? Low and slow, right? Low and slow. That's how you make your scrambled eggs. If you didn't know that, you're welcome. Our spiritual growth, slow. It's a slow, it's a gradual process. And most of us have experienced this over the years. We got to times in life when we uh, had one thing that used to bug us, one thing that, that we used to give into, one way we used to think, and now we don't think that way. We don't give into that thing or it doesn't bug us anymore, but we didn't get there overnight. Now, there is some spiritual growth, of course, that is instant. And maybe some of us have a testimony where we went from like death to life, like a, spiritually we were born again by faith in Christ through the gospel. Uh, and as we did that, also we experienced a, a deep spiritual transformation. Maybe we were addicted to something and we no longer were in, a, in an instant. And sometimes that is connected to that like initial moment of salvation. But then after salvation, most of us have experienced Spiritual growth from then, from there, is slow. It's gradual. It happens over time. This is no different than David's process. David was anointed king at 15. He was crowned king at 30. And when he wrote that psalm was somewhere in that 15-year period. And much happened in David's life. That's where he learned the proper perspective of God, sovereign, good, active, and personal. It's where he learned those practices and how to apply them. But it was during that time that David went through the process that, uh, of weaning that we're going to talk about this morning so that he could actually arrive at the place where he could say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. He had to walk through this process. See, God could have made David the 16-year-old king or the 17th or the 18th or any of those years. But God was doing something in David that he wanted to do and that David had to walk through the process to get to. In the same way, God is doing something in each and every one of us. He's working, and uh, as we step into Christ, once we step into a relationship with Christ, we're now on this, the doctrinal term is sanctification, this process where we are, we are being sanctified or made, being made more like Christ. And that's a gradual process. And although it is a gradual process, I wanna say two things that it is not. Even though it is a gradual process, it's not a passive process. 
It's not just, uh, well, I'll sit back then and, and I'll just kind of like move along. Like, you know, those walkways at the airport that you just step on and it takes you. It's not a passive process. It is gradual, but, but it's active. You and I have to engage in the process of our spiritual growth. We have to engage in the process of arriving at the place where we've said, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And remember, the two things that are notably absent from this psalm, when David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul, are other people and changed circumstances. David, does, I'm not waiting for changed circumstances. I'm not waiting for other people. I have calmed and quieted my soul. How? By walking through this process. It's active. And although uh, it's a gradual process, it's also not an excusable process. And here's what I mean by that. It's very common right now. I hear this a lot uh, that, that a Christian will say, and, and age doesn't matter, all over the spectrum. Well, yeah, I did do that. I did sin. I did, but I don't regret it because it made me who I am. Oh, no. Oh, Christian, regrets every sin. Every sin. Any, any rebellion against God is a regrettable thing, a regrettable offense. Doesn't mean we have to live in condemnation under it, but I, I never want to look back at sin and say, well, it made me, no, 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 no. It's not an excusable thing. It is gradual, but it's not, a, don't, don't use the process as an excuse for sin. Instead, use the temptation to sin as a reason to press in to the transformation. God, change me. I don't want to love this. I know I'm not supposed to do this. I know I'm not supposed to think this. I know I'm not supposed to. You need to change me, Father. And so it is gradual. It's not passive, it's active. And it's not excusable. God, change me now, please. Now in this process, in this gradual uh, spiritual growth process, then here's uh, the second step of it. It is difficult. It's difficult. And so uh, this morning, let me tell you, what I'm about to walk through, this part of the sermon is the hard part. This is the time when your coach at the beginning of the sports season looked at you and is like, I see all the potential in the world and you are this team. We've got some work to do. That means you're going to sprint a lot at the end of practice. You can get there, but you got to walk through it. Now, I don't want to be confused on what I mean by difficult. The process of obtaining your salvation is not a difficult process. Grace pours out our salvation. We don't earn it. We don't work hard to obtain it. But then we receive our salvation as a gift from God through faith. And then after we have received the gift of our salvation, now we're in this process that is this um, supernatural, kind of hard to define relationship between us and the Holy Spirit. Our active engagement and the Holy Spirit being the strength and the empowerment in order to change. But the process is difficult. Let me prove it to you. Three different New Testament writers. I actually could have probably picked every single New Testament writer and given you examples. Uh, but let me just give you three this morning that talk about spiritual growth and transformation. The first one is James, Jesus' half-brother. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I love the language of that. It's like when you meet trials, like you're walking down the street and trial shows up. 
You're like, we're going to be here together for a while, aren't we, Mr. Trial? Nice to meet you. When you meet Trial, Mr. Trial, consider it joy. Why, James says? Because on the other side of Trial, there's a new you. There's a changed you. But James connects this idea of trial to the process of our spiritual growth. Now, trial, sometimes uh, trials are self-inflicted. We do something and now there's trial. Sometimes trial is just something that happens to us that we didn't deserve or that we didn't do. But now it's present in our life. And God says, trial shows up and it's part of this process. And so if you believe that by entering into a relationship with Christ, that that meant the absence of any difficulty, you were reading a different scripture. Not this one, not this Bible, not this word of God. Trial then is part of this spiritual growth process that, that God uses in order to grow us up. So there's the first one, trial's going to happen. Here's the second one. This is in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter one. His divine power has granted to us, that's followers of Christ, all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, everything you need to live the abundant life that Christ promised and the godly life you have been granted. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That's what you've been called to. Did you know that? By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. By the way, it's answering kind of that question. You're like, why, why does things seem broken? Why do things get broken? What happens? He's saying it's the corruption that happens through, through sin. That's why. For the very reason, for this very reason, he says, make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that your relationship with Christ can be labeled ineffective and unfruitful? And he says the path to that not happening is you make every effort, you work at it. This is not an easy process. It is a difficult process. There are things that we have to do. We have to now make every effort, every effort. Going back to the sports analogy, I remember running sprints in basketball practice as a, you know, in high school. And we'd get to the end of practice, you're already tired, and the coach would, uh, you know, be yelling, sprint harder, sprint harder, sprint harder. You're not trying enough, you're not trying enough. And one week, he wanted to prove this to us. And so uh, we used to run these things called 33s, and you'd have to run the length of the basketball court three times in 33 seconds. And they were the thing we hated the most as a team. One day, our coach got up and he said, instead of running 33s today, we're going to run 30s. He cut off 10 or 10% of the amount of time that we had to do it. And we weren't allowed to leave practice until we got them all done. And guess what? We got them all done. Why? Because when he showed us the amount of effort that it was going to take, when he, when he raised the expectation, we actually realized there was more in us than we knew there was. 
pulled something out of us by challenging us. In this text, what Peter is saying is, he's saying, make every effort, make every effort to engage in this process of your spiritual transformation. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and begin to add on to these virtues. Laziness is not a Christian virtue. Spiritual laziness is not a part of our New Testament faith. This idea that, that we just like receive our spiritual growth, we just receive the full transformation. If I just hang around long enough, if I'm just kind of present long enough, if I just walk in relationship with God long enough, then I'll get there, I'll be there. No, no, make every effort. There's an active part of this. Moving on to the next text in Hebrews. We don't know who the author of this is, but the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 gives us one more of our favorite words, discipline. He says this in verse three and four. You won't see the word discipline in here, but it'll connect to it later. Hebrews 12, three and four. He says, consider him, he's talking about Christ, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You see the assumption that the author is making there, by the way? The author is making an assumption that if you are a follower of Christ, that you have a struggle against sin. First off, that the struggle is still present, even though that you're in Christ. But secondly, that you are aware that there is a struggle against sin going on in your life. That you haven't just said, eh, I'm saved, it's cool, I can do what I want. Know that you are actively, as the Holy Spirit is working in you and is now present in you, that you are actively engaged in the struggle against sin, that you hate it, that you want it crucified, that you want to walk in holiness and righteousness, and that it is a struggle. And the author goes on to say, in your struggle against sin, he says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Like, how far should I take this? He says, well, you didn't take it as far as Jesus took it yet in your struggle against sin, in this, in this difficult process. And he's really showing us the example. Christ was willing to take it, what? To the point of death on the cross, to his blood being shed. Later, the author is gonna connect this to the idea of discipline. All throughout the scriptures, here's what we see, that we will never partake in the promises of God unless we are willing to persevere through the process that is being laid out. Imagine David, he's in this process, he looks out, he can't look out obviously, but he's been told he's going to be king. And anywhere along the way, David could have just opted out of the process. I mean, all throughout. In fact, I'll read you a list of things that David faced in this 15-year period. He was rejected by his brothers. Saul became jealous of him and tried to kill him. He had to say goodbye to his closest friend. I'm going to run out of fingers. He became surrounded by everyone who was in distress and bitter of soul. Saul killed the priest that David had asked for help from. Saul tried to kill David again, and David had to run for his life. David's mentor died. David's wife left him. David had to flee to his enemy and become one of them or die. David was rejected by those who were giving him refuge, and then David's wives and children were captured. That's a process. David walked through it all. And as he walked through it all, 
God changed him. And it was gradual. I mean, it was a 15-year process, and it was difficult. And this is the process that he was going through. And through it all, David could get to the end and say, and through it all, I've calmed and quieted my soul. If your hope or expectation was that being a Christian was going to produce the easiest set of circumstances in order for you to have a calm and quiet life, you're mistaken. God does want you to have a calm and quiet life, but there will be a difficult part of the process in order to get there. In fact, this statement is true throughout scripture. The depth of our suffering produces the depth of our character, which results in first humility and then in gospel productivity. All throughout the scriptures, Joseph, Daniel, of course, David, Paul, the rest of the disciples, and of course, Christ, above all. Now, in the midst of any process, one of the things we always wanna do is know, am I making progress? If you have anything that you do where you have like a goal and you're marching through it, right? You like to see that process or that progress is happening. And so how do we know if we're making progress? Well, let's go back to the original metaphor. Like a, like a weaned child, he says, is my soul within me. I would say imagine, but I don't really want you to imagine this. Let's say there was a 30-year-old who was unweaned. I told you not to. That is awkward. Even in 2021, that would not be considered socially acceptable. You can't even go into the nursing mother's room like that, okay? This would be weird. This would be very weird. I think David is presenting a spiritual picture of the 30-something-year-old Christian, and I'm not saying age, I'm saying somebody who's been walking down the spiritual life for a long time, and it's unweaned. David's kind of saying, it's a little awkward. It's time to move on. It's time to grow up. Now, this list won't be as funny as Jeff Foxworthy lists, but you might be unweaned if. You might be unweaned if. I want to walk you through a couple of these. I want to walk you through a couple of these because the third point this morning, right, is that this process is rewarding and I want you desperately to get to the reward on what is on the other side of walking through this process. And so some of this might be the sign for you that you are still unweaned, that, that you are, are still in process. And we're all in process. And I understand that even after David became king, he still made mistakes. And so the spiritual growth kind of builds on itself, right? We never arrive at an end point of it. We're always building and the depth of it is always going more and more and more, right? But uh, here's a list for you. You might be unweaned if, number one, you are constantly discontented constantly. Like you've arrived at different places at life over and over. You got there and you thought, I'm here now. I'm going to calm and quiet my soul. But you're just as discontented here as you were there. And you're going to be just as discontented there as you were here. You might be unweaned. You might be unweaned if you're consistently formed by your feelings. And so your feelings, you, you lash out based on your feelings. You, you understand God through them. Instead of the facts and the truths of scripture, everything is formed by your feelings. You might be unweaned if you haven't experienced growth. 
and you respond in the same situations now as you used to. Let me give you an example. Uh, let's, play, let's pretend we are playing uh, Candyland, okay? So let's say Reagan and I are playing Candyland. Let's say we're playing with, with one of Reagan's grandmas. We'll say uh, Sarah, Lindsay and, and Hannah's mom, who's back in our kids' ministry and is like the most saintly person you will ever meet in your life. And so let's imagine the three of us are sitting around and we're playing Candyland and as the game is unfolding, uh, Reagan is, is winning, right? Because she cheats. Reagan is winning. And as we're playing, let's imagine that Reagan gets the plumpy card. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Candyland, that's a bad card, okay? Because what the plumpy card does is it takes you all the way back to the beginning. And if Reagan got the plumpy card when she was about to win and it took her all the way back to the beginning, she would probably get upset or she would probably um, try to uh, make me, her father, practice some substitutionary atonement and take the card for her, Okay? Reagan's always trying to weave the gospel into our board games. <laughs> now she'd probably get angry, perhaps cry, maybe throw a fit, maybe flip the board, maybe walk away and pout, but not be super excited about the plumpy card. She does get her competitive nature from her father, by the way. And if she did that, there would be a nice teaching moment. And we would work our way through it. But what if Reagan hadn't gotten the plumpy card and the plumpy card was still in there and she got the double red instead and she moved ahead and the next person to go was Sarah and Sarah gets the plumpy card, looks at the plumpy card, flips over the board, walks upstairs, screaming all the way. I'd say, Reagan would probably go, that's not okay, daddy. And part of the challenge of spiritual growth is how we respond to the plumpy cards of life, to the times that take us back from where we were, the times that we feel like well, I'm going backwards instead of forward, I'm not, I'm not getting closer to the promise, I'm getting further away from the promise, the times where the unexpected happens, and then how it is that we respond now, I know that in life, sometimes uh, the plumpy card seems almost as silly as the game of Candyland or, you know, there's various levels of seriousness and impact on our lives that these have. But spiritual growth is the process where when you draw that card, your response to it becomes different and different over time. And that even then, when you draw that card and your life isn't going or something does happen, you, you respond differently and you know you are, are being weaned. When even in increasing severity, these things happen and your response is deeper trust and deeper faith and deeper commitment, less formed by feeling, more formed by scripture. Even when the card hits, that's growth. That's, that's the gospel breaking and that's what all of these texts are teaching us. You might be unweaned if going on you have no endurance. Remember when you had to run the mile in gym class in like fifth grade and you thought you had to run a marathon? And there was always one kid who took like four steps and was like, I'm out. Like, I can't, I can't do this. You might be unweaned if you have no endurance. The quickest thing, you're like, I'm out. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. 
right? Like you, you prayed for a parking spot and it wasn't there. You're like, God, you must not be real. You, no endurance. You, you might be unweaned if your constant thought pattern is me, 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 me. What about me? How does this affect me? Did you think about me when you were making that decision? What about me, me, me? You might be unweaned if you strive for instant gratification. If you think you should be able to obtain what you want without having to work through the process of getting it. If you think somehow the rules of working through a difficult process don't apply to you, you might be unweaned. You might be unweaned if you're constantly jealous of what others have. And you look in and you go, man, I, I can't believe they have that and they have that and, they, and, they, and it just fills your mind. These are all pictures of us or examples of us that we might be unweaned, that we're, we're, we're in this process and God is still trying to work things out of us and God loves you and he wants to work these things out of you, but I'm telling you the process of that will be difficult. James said, there will be trial. Peter said, you're going to have to make every effort. Like you don't just get to wake up every day and do nothing different and put in no effort and just get there. Like, like almost like a spiritual entitlement. Like, well, God, you should just give this to me. I shouldn't have to work for it. Just, just give it. And again, I'm not saying that we're working for our salvation. I'm saying we're working out of our salvation. And then the Hebrews writer says, oh, no, it's going to be a struggle. The struggle is real. The struggle's real. But fight through it. Now, this process, it is gradual and it is difficult, but I love that all three texts, and when we see patterns like this in the scripture, we've got to look at it and go, man, there must be something here. That on the other side of all three of the New Testament texts and on the other side of the, um, the Davidic text in Psalm, we have this truth. Oh, that it is rewarding. That it is so rewarding. It is gradual, yes, it is difficult, but it is rewarding. Like the child being weaned, it is rewarding. There is growth, there is opportunity on the other side of the weaning process that isn't available before. And God knows this. And so let's review the passages from earlier. James said, consider it joy when you meet trial. But at the end of the text, it says that when you, are, when you persevere through that process, that you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. That, that, uh, and really what the perfection there is, obviously not talking that you are now perfect and there's no sin struggle left in your life or that you're always gonna do everything right. What it's saying is that in that manner, in that area, right, that there's now like a, a growth, there's a development that has now taken place in that area. You need nothing. What it's saying there is that your, your former wants and your former desires have now been changed by the process of what you went through. And maybe you've seen this in your life. You walked through a difficult process and you got to the end of it and you realize that the things that you used to want, the things that used to be so important to you after walking through this difficult process, they no longer are. And so you're like, man, I don't need anything. I used to think I needed all of that, but now I don't. Like God has weaned it out and it's rewarding. It's rewarding because you're actually more free on the other side because you're not locked up by all of those old wants and desires. In the next passage, in the what did I do next? Second Peter passage. He ends it like this. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and he teaches us that they can be yours and they will be increasing when you make every effort 
He said, if you do that, then they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're willing to walk through this process, if you're willing to persevere through it, not take the exit ramp and get off, right? And the exit ramp is like abandoning faith. The exit ramp is not listening to sound advice. The exit ramp is choosing sin instead of holiness. The exit ramp, and by the way, anytime we do that, by God's grace, he's willing to welcome us back to the, the, the track, right? He's willing to like bring us back on. But, it, but if we just abandon uh, the process, then we're never gonna get here. But if we do stick through, if we persevere through the process, then he says, our faith, you, he says, you will be effective and fruitful. That's what you'll be. Man, I've seen this happen in people's lives. I mean, I'll, let me, I'll use two examples for both of these. Um, the first, I have seen this um, in, in, in my wife's life, Lindsay's. She's our worship leader, by the way, if you're new, she was up here singing. She was here, okay? I'm not married to Danny. She was here. Okay, all right. And so Lindsay, um, I've watched her over the last five years of our marriage. I've watched her um, grow through everything that our relationship has brought and life brings and having kids and all of that kind of stuff. And I've seen her faithfully walk through the last five years of life with grace and holiness and, uh, and just this desire to grow in Christ. And it's interesting that as I've watched her walk through that, I've also simultaneously then got to watch her operate in her giftedness as a worship leader. Where now, we, we know this. I mean, you guys have all seen these moments. Like we'll be in a worship moment and all of a sudden it'll get quiet and Lindsay will hit the piano and start singing a song from 25 years ago. And it's like, whew, right? And we all feel it. And it's like the Holy Spirit's here. And it's like, whew. And guess what? Because she was willing to walk through the process, her effectiveness now comes out and we all get to experience the joy of it. And friends, as you walk through the process of life, your effectiveness of the gospel goes through. Where like, like as you walk through the process, like now you're gonna find yourselves in circumstances and situations where maybe your family used to, they would have just fought and they would have fought and they would have fought, but your effectiveness has grown in the gospel because you walk through this process and now in a moment you can say the right word or you can offer the right insight and then all of a sudden all of the tension goes. Why? Because you walk through the process. You're now effective in the gospel. Another, the next word is, is fruitful. See, effective, right? Effective is like something that kind of like goes out through you, right? But, but fruitful is actually different because it's not just like effective is like you get to eat a delicious apple, right? Um, bearing fruit or fruitful is like more apple trees are made, right? And so uh, it says it also what happens if you walk through this process is you will bear fruit. In other words, what has happened in you will be multiplied out. It'll be multiplied out. On Tuesday night, um, our church elders, Frank, Tom, and their wives, um, Nancy and Angie, and then Lindsay and I, so the six of us who have been doing this for, you know, together for five years or now, we went out just for dinner to kind of celebrate the last five years and, uh, and look forward to the year ahead. And, you know, we're telling stories and talking about what's going on, talking about next year, all of those good things, right? And at some point in time in, in the conversation, um, the conversation turned to some of the things that God has done or changed in us over the last five years. And one of the individuals commented on something that they have just seen God work through them over the last five years. And by the way, I'm so glad that we have elders in our church who are still in process and that God is still changing because we all need changed and we're all going to need, I want to be different five years now, uh, five years than I am right now. 
And so we all want to walk through this. And, and one of them was just commenting on that. And as they were commenting on that, it was interesting to me. It struck me that the very same thing that God had been working out in, in that person is now actually something that is one of the most beautiful things of our church. It's bearing fruit. And so because they were willing to go through this process of this spiritual transformation, now it didn't just affect them, it affects all of us. Isn't that beautiful? That when we go through the process, that part of the reward is not just what it does in us, but then how it will go through us. It's beautiful. Now let's look at the next one. This is the Hebrews one. He says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That struggle over sin, right? It seems painful, and it is painful, rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you are willing to walk through the, the process of the struggle, that fight against sin, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, choosing righteousness instead of sinfulness, says what it'll yield is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words, you'll just look more like Jesus. And there is no greater reward. You'll just be more like Christ when you walk through that. And then David, of course, says it this way. He says, like a weaned soul, like a weaned child is my soul with me. He says this way. But I've calmed and quieted my soul. He says, what's the, what's the reward? He says, when you walk through things, no matter the circumstance, no matter what else is going on around you, when you walk through it, you can get to a place where as it's all being thrown at you, you can say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. What a reward that is. What a reward. But if you're willing to walk through this process, next year we'll throw things at you. There will be cards that are played that you never saw coming that you didn't think you deserved and maybe you didn't. But even as you walk through them, if you walk through this process, then you'd be able to say, and I have calmed and quieted my soul. David started this psalm by reminding us who is with us in the process. The sovereign, good, active, personal God. And if right now you're walking through this process, I want to remind you that the sovereign, good, active, personal God is with you. And he is also the loving God. That's what the personal meant. He loves you and he knows you. And he is walking with you right now through the process that you are going, to, going through. And I would encourage you, stay faithful and persevere through the process. Persevere through it. For all of us, that as we learn this and as we allow ourselves to go through the process, then each of these rewards will become ours. I think these are the promises of our salvation. And ultimately, we can look at this. David ends his psalm ultimately with this. He says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth forevermore. In other words, he's saying, now that you've learned this process, now that, that, that the practice and the perspective and the process, now that it's all in you, now that you can say, or you're learning how to calm and quiet your soul, he says, how you walk forward is by just placing your hope in God, that he's the only one who can really come alongside you and get there. But when we talk about our hope being placed in the Lord, I don't think it's just saying place your hope in, uh, in the good, sovereign, active, personal God, because you know he is all those things. I think it's also teaching us place your hope in him because you've seen how that God acted through this process. What do I mean? Because on this side of our salvation, on this side of the cross, we can see how Christ walked through each and every one of these things. Christ walked through the greatest trial. And on the other side, he was always perfect and complete needing nothing. But on the other side, because he walked through that trial, now we can be perfect and complete needing nothing. Because Christ made every 
effort for our salvation, even the effort of going to the cross. And his resurrection then was the most effective thing and the most fruitful thing ever. That Christ struggled to the point of sweating blood and then shedding blood, but not so that he would resist sin, so that he would take our sin upon himself and then give us the power to resist sin. And Christ, Christ, pray that prayer in the garden. Your will, not my will, Father. Calmed and quieted his soul and then faced the greatest of difficulty and walked faithfully in it. And because that Christ, because Christ did that and because now he has imputed his righteousness and his power to us, we can hope that as we walk through these things, we can too. And so I hope this series has been helpful for you. And I hope that as you look at all that life is throwing at you right now and all that life is going to throw that you don't yet know that as you walk through this, you'll experience the beauty of the reward on the other side. Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us these things. Thank you for inspiring David to write this psalm. And Lord, I pray right now for friends here who, Lord, they are right in the thick of it. And the process seems so hard. And it seems like there's no strength yet left to persevere. I pray that in that moment that your Holy Spirit would enter in, would infuse life and power, would put the right people around them, and would give them all the strength they need to keep walking it out. And Father, I pray that for all of us as a church, that we would learn how to calm and quiet our souls to honor you, to bear fruit in every season. And Father, I pray that as we do that individually, Lord, that it would also then just create for us here as a church, a culture of calm and quiet. Lord, that it would like affect all of us and but that you would unify us in one body so we would have a calm and quiet church, Lord. Not void of difficulty, not void of all bad things, but just knowing that whatever is thrown at us as we seek into the gospel, Lord, we can remain unified, we can remain together. Father, your gospel can work through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.